Hello and welcome to another episode of Sexual Confidence on Tap with Shannon Etheridge and friends. And today I have a friend that you've never heard from before. I have known her for many, many years, but only recently have we been interacting about the types of work that we both do in on deeper levels than we ever have before. And I just get more and more excited about what this girl does. Every time I hear about uh, something that she's doing, or now that I, again, that I'm connecting with her more, she's doing an event that's coming up that I'm going to ask her to talk about. But first, let me just tell you who the heck she is. So Crystal Renault Day. That is her married name. She was Crystal Renault for a long time, and she just recently became Crystal Renault Day. I met her at a booksellers convention in Dallas, Texas, many, many moons ago when she had just started something called Dirty Girls Ministries to help women who are struggling with porn addiction. And that has evolved into a ministry called She recovery. And so Crystal, thank you for taking the time to be a part of Sexual Confidence on Tap with Shannon Etheridge and Friends. Thank you for being my friend today. Oh, Shannon, thank you. thank you for being a great friend to me too. And thank you for having me be a part of your podcast. You bet. So I know that my listeners are going to want to know about your event. So before we dive into your testimony and what you've learned about a post- porn addiction marriage. Would you just tell us a little bit about what you're doing right now that people can jump in and be a part of if it, if it fits a need that they have in their lives right now? Absolutely. I would love to. So we're putting on an event called the She Virtual Recovery Summit. It is being hosted by my organization as well as in partnership with Covenant Eyes. And it is an event that is a first of its kind event for women who struggle with pornography and other sexual behaviors, unwanted sexual behaviors. And the idea is, is that it's is an opportunity for women who struggle in these ways to receive support, healing and empowerment, which is what she actually stands for. Uh, and support, this is healing and empowerment. I love yes, that. Yes. And so this is a five day online summit and so you can be a part of it from your couch from your office from your bed <laughs> wherever it is you're currently quarantining um, and be able to engage with almost 40 speakers now um, who are talking about sexuality healthy sexuality addiction recovery what does it look like um, fantasy you know everything including yourself, which is very, very exciting. And this whole event is 100% free to attend. Well, I was thrilled when you invited me to be one of the speakers. And not only have I known of the amazing work that you have done for years, I'm also uh, an affiliate with Covenant Eyes and totally believe in what they do. Because for people who do find themselves addicted, like compulsively, searching out pornography and just wasting hours and hours and tons of energy and stressed out about how to control this issue in their lives. Covenant Eyes is just such a godsend. The technology mm -hmm. that they have is absolutely amazing. So tell us, what are some of the statistics? Like people always think that this is a man's issue, that they don't really think about women and pornography addiction or sexual addiction or unwanted sexual behaviors being a problem in a woman's life. But oh my gosh, you and I both know from personal experience that that is not true. So what have you seen? 
There hasn't been any wonderful research done actually um, since a, almost 20 years ago in this area. But at that time, there was, it was found that roughly 20% of Christian women struggle with pornography. With the advancement of technology, with the advancement of the internet, with the uh, celebration of, of, I guess, perverse sexuality in our culture, one could only assume that that statistic has risen and risen and risen. Right. I'm sure it's doubled or even tripled because 20 years ago, I didn't even have a website. (laughs) Exactly. That's a long time ago. Exactly. Exactly. Um, My organization did some stats and some surveys about uh, six years ago. And of those who took the survey, 40% of the women admitted to do having a pornography problem. So I do think that we're looking at more of a doubling, maybe even a tripling at this point issue. And really, it's said that one in three visitors to adult websites are female. And that's from like Pornhub giving those stats. And so I think they would know um, better than anyone really who their demographics are and who they're trying to reach really. And um, we're seeing more and more that the, that the female demographic is becoming their target. Right. I was watching several documentaries like um, after after the porn ends or something like that, and uh, some other documentaries about the realities behind the porn industry. And I just distinctly remember this woman talking about how producers have finally gotten smart, that it's not just men that are watching and that they are intentionally creating storylines and, and doing things to draw more women in. And I, I do think that it, it can be just as big of an addiction in a woman's life as in a man's life, but does it impact a woman any differently than it does a man? I think it impacts women far more emotionally than it does for men. I think that men, by and large, it's more of a visual physical thing. And for women, it's visual and emotional, which I think is even more compounding of an issue because now you're not only addicted to it from a physical standpoint in terms of compulsive masturbation, but you're also addicted to it from an emotional standpoint where you feel dependent on it for emotional support. Okay, I can totally see that. Since women are emotionally stimulated, I can see how they would kind of form an emotional bond with that type of stimulus. So, Crystal, I know that you founded your ministry out of your own personal journey and experiences and passion, just like I did. So tell us, I assume that pornography has been a struggle for you in the past, and that's why you were willing to come on and talk about a post-porn addiction marriage, but when did you get involved in porn, and what kind of hold did it have on you? I was first exposed to pornography at the young age of 10. I was exposed to it, and I'll date myself a little bit. At the time, it was in magazine form, and it was in my brother's bathroom, but it was enough for me at that point to be immediately hooked by it. It was something of a combination of intrigue, curiosity, and of course, a compounded shame. I knew I was not supposed to be looking at this magazine. I knew without a shadow of a doubt that was not for me, especially as a 10-year-old girl, but there was something in it that satisfied a deeper longing than I had deeper emotional longings that I had, deeper longings for love and affection that I didn't have. And so I really believe that the enemy kind of created that opportunity for me and kind of used it to bring bring about a false sense of intimacy, a false sense of love, false sense of affection. And really because I was young and curious, I was just hooked immediately and um, began to engage in that material 
regularly for as long as it was available to me, which um, looking back, it's hard to gauge it in terms of, of, of weeks or months or years. But I know that I looked at that, those magazines when, when they were available to me regularly. And then one day they weren't there. And I was immediately kind of sent into panic mode saying- <gasps> Withdrawal? <laughs> withdrawal, yes. And that was kind of the, I have a problem. Um, you know, How old were you? I mean, this is probably between the ages of 10 and 12 at this point. Oh, okay. And so still, had, still very young. Still very young. But I had, I, but I had been looking at these, this imagery, this, this material, you know, probably at least every school day after school for, for a number of months in, into a couple of years. But then so one day this material was gone and it had was it like, become a, a habit of like a de-stressor uh, after a long day yeah, at school type of thing yeah. mm -hmm. that was and like your come, after school special huh exactly i came home after school every day by myself because i had older brothers who were doing sports or working and had both working parents one parent um, traveling full-time my father and then my mom who was working outside the home as a, as a full-time job so i came home from school daily um with nothing to do other than you know avoid my homework and um watch pornography or look at book at pornography and these magazines mm -hmm. but then one day it wasn't there and i was thinking well what am i going to do i need to get this back somehow and so at that point we had um, dial-up internet at home which was still functional but not great and i didn't know what pornography was i didn't have a vocabulary for the thing that i was looking at um and so i began to look in my dad's movie cabinet. I knew he didn't have pornography, but he had movies that were adult content, rated R, had nudity in them. And so I began to raid kind of his movie cabinet, fast forward through those movies to find sex scenes and nudity. That wasn't enough. And so I ended up going online and began searching just for those basic words, you know, nudity, sex, naked naked men naked women mm -hmm. um and then was provided a smorgasbord of content from there and that was something that i engaged in daily if not you know multiple hours a day sure for for years and i also led me into sexual chat rooms um, phone sex um, again you know cyber sex talking with people who knows how old they were well, who knows who they were um, and how old years. were you when you were actually talking to another human being on the phone in a sexual way oh 14 15 wow yeah yeah okay and i'm going to ask you to date yourself even more mainly because mm -hmm. i really want the parents who are hearing this who maybe have 10 or 12 year olds at home like don't be clueless like yeah. th this this really gets its hooks in in kids at a very young age so around what year were you 10 years old looking at your brother's pornography and all that uh let's see um mid 90s okay yeah that would make sense i'm th i'm almost 36 now um okay. so um yeah mid to mid to yeah mid to mid 90s or so at that point um okay. I w it would have been 94 when i was 10 or 95 when i was 10. in the same so. way that we talked about how oh the statistics are probably double or triple for women i, I would imagine that it's true for children too that yeah. there are so many children that are just innocently curious and they feel as if the internet is a more 
readily available sex education teacher than their own parents. And so, um, yeah, in you describing how this was a habit, it became a ritual of coming home. This is how you unwound. Kind of reminds me of that acronym of hungry, angry, lonely, tired, and bored. For mm-hmm. you, it was lonely and bored. Mm-hmm. Am I right? Yeah, it was. And you know, you're talking about how um, the porn industry is targeting women now. They're targeting children even more um, than they're targeting women um because they know that children are the next you know next round of consumers and so they want to get them as young as as they possibly can um and my parents did all they all they could knew how to do at that time to safeguard us they were safeguarding my brothers they weren't thinking they were thinking of me um, in terms of internet filtering and those kinds of things at the time filtering was really not good um, and really what makes coming at eyes kind of set apart is the fact that it's accountability software. So there's a lot more monitoring that's happening as opposed to just filtering out, which filters are something that you can really navigate around. Mm-hmm. But I've heard that. Yeah. I, I'm not yeah. smart enough to test the theories, but I have heard many people say, oh, if you really want to find it, you can get oh, around yeah. those filters. And I, and, I, and I was able to do that as, as a 14, 15 year old in the early I guess, yeah, late 90s, early 2000s, when I wasn't nearly, nearly as techie as kids are today mm-hmm. um, in terms of their understanding of, of technology in, in the digital age. Right. Um, and yeah. I understand that Covenant Eyes now has this screenshot technology yep. that is relatively, well, I don't want to say impossible. I, I'm sure that there are some brainiacs out there that could figure it out, but he, mm-hmm. I understand that it's a lot more... Um, rigorous of an algorithm to determine mm-hmm. when you're looking at inappropriate things than yep. previously. Yep. They were able to design basically an AI, an algorithm to be able to know when there's naked imagery or nudity or sexual content on your, on your device. So like your phone, your tablet, your computer, and it takes blurred screenshots um, of that, of those images and sends them to your accountability partner so that they can be, so they, they can say, um, what is this kind of figure that, that looks like it possibly could be nudity? And sometimes it's just, you talking to your grandma on FaceTime, but, um, but, but at least it's, yeah, I have just gotten out of the shower. That's all. (laughs) (laughs) But um, that is some serious accountability. That is not for the, that's not for the people who just want to pretend like they're walking the straight and narrow. That's for people who are serious about their recovery. Um, but I really encourage people that if you are struggling in this way, there is nothing better than support because it is Mm -hmm. hard to kick a habit like this by yourself. And if you have the right person, they're not going to judge you. They're not going to condemn you. They're not going to out you. They're just going to check in with you and say, you know, what, you know, what's this and, and are you doing okay? And do you need to talk and what are you feeling lately? And, and and do you agree with me that I know that people have a different opinion about this, but at one time I thought that your part, that your spouse being your accountability partner was a good idea. But after I started coaching people many moons ago, I decided that's not the best idea. Do you agree that you really need an outside accountability partner? Don't put your spouse in that role. I do agree with that. I also think that it really depends on the marriage dynamic, but I, but I definitely do think that what's best for the marriage and the best for the relationship is to keep your accountability with a trusted female girlfriend 
um, or a counselor or someone who's going who's able to be objective with you. Um, because really when you're, when your spouse is your partner and let's say you do slip up, that's betrayal trauma. That's traumatic for the yes. spouse to see those reports. And so certainly you want open and honesty with your spouse about these issues, but at the same time, I don't think that it's in, it's in the best interest of your marriage and your husband for him to be your accountability partner and vice versa. I completely agree because like you said, sometimes there is an occasional, oh, that's not what it looks like. But the spouse is, you know, they're still left with the trauma of, are you sure? And what are you really doing? And I've become the accountability partner for some of my clients and get their reports because they don't want to make their spouse Mm -hmm. uh, that accountability partner and they don't have anybody else in their lives. So I encourage people, find a professional or, uh, you know, someone in ministry or, but definitely a a same sex. If it's a friend that you're asking, make sure that that's a same sex friend that, Mm -hmm. um, that truly you know, can walk this path with you in a very intimate way because overcoming an addiction like this is a very intimate thing. So Crystal, how did you overcome your porn addiction? You know, it took a long time because I didn't think that there were any other women in the world who struggled the way that I did. Um, Because every conversation I ever heard at church or even in the mainstream, when you're talking about pornography and pornography use, they were targeting men. They were talking to men. And so I had this feeling and this belief, hard, you know, a a deep belief that I was the only female who struggled and that there was something wrong with me because of it. And so it wasn't until I was 19 years old. So almost a decade of, of from my exposure to my recovery until I met someone who shared her story with me and she shared not her squeaky clean testimony of, Oh, Jesus is so great. And my life is perfect but she admitted that she had some real struggles in her life of which included pornography addiction. And I was baffled and confused and shocked and dismayed. And I were thought, like, I'm not alone. I'm not alone. Yeah. And so I had a choice to make in that moment when she told me that story, I had a choice to kind of walk away, look at it like she was crazy, or I could say, you know, the two most healing words in the English language, which are me too. Me too. Hashtag me too. Yes. Yes. Um, and so with her help, um, I was able to, well, I, I shared my story with her. I said, me too. Here's my story. Here's how bad it's gotten. Uh, I'll, I'll avoid the details here today, but it got bad um, and dangerous. And so I, I told her all of that and she was understanding and comforting. And she shared with me that really the love of Christ that I had heard about my whole life, but really had never experienced for myself because of the, the immense amount of shame that I felt around this issue. And so with her help of accountability, um, there's that word again, and going to counseling, healing the wounds of my soul um, and my heart and my mind, um, I was able to enter into a meaningful, lasting recovery and today do not identify myself as an addict but as someone who has been healed and restored and redeemed by the power of God, but also through really powerful counseling that got me through some of my really deep hurts and trauma. Mm-hmm. And, and you said that shame word. I would imagine that women feel that so much more deeply than men simply because of the stereotypes that men are expected mm-hmm. that, if, well, of course they're going to want to look at women, but women aren't supposed to want to look at 
pornography that just but it is so not true we're we're wired as sexual beings just like men are and women do they they often struggle with it now crystal i i don't want to dig too deep because i want to respect your privacy um but i do want to ask you this clarifying question i have heard it said that pornography is one of those issues that once you start down that road it is so progressive and you have to have more and more intense scenarios and that it it leads you to dark places that you never thought you would go do you agree that it's progressive in nature like that oh 120,000 percent yes and is um, that what you meant by it got dangerous yeah i mean i said i wanted to be mindful of your listeners in terms of anything that might be triggering but i um you know i ended up trying to hook up with people online eventually. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm thankful that I, I didn't actually follow through with that, but I got to the hotel one time um, ready to do it um, because the, the addiction led me not just to that, but into forms of pornography that I never thought I'd, I'd want to look at mm -hmm. or even um, think would I'd find pleasure in um, that were more and more perverse. Thankfully, nothing like child pornography or anything like that, but certainly, you know, group, you know, group sex and violent sex and, um, you know, and, uh, and men and women, um, you know, especially women. Um, and that was very confusing for me. Um, and so, yeah, it takes you places that you don't expect to go and it keeps you there longer than you ever intended to stay. And, and it um, zaps more time and energy than you ever intended yeah, to invest. Yeah, and it just robs you of so much. Can I just give a quick explanation to listeners as to yeah. why it is that this is such a progressive issue and why you wind up craving images of things that you never in a million years thought you would even find arousing, but yet now you do. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a concept that I call it stripping your gears. It's that when you let your sexual energies flow outside of the banks of what is quote normal and healthy for you and you start oozing into other territory it is kind of like a river that overflows its banks. I've, I've heard, you know, pastors use that analogy, but basically what turns you on before now isn't enough to turn you on. Mm -hmm. And so the same way that if you, if you strip a gear, then it no longer functions the way that it should. And it's very true with the sexual brain that when you start feeding it images that are outside of what or, or even if you're feeding images of what turns you on, you don't need external images to get turned on. That's why God created our brain in such a way that we can, we can use our own mind to manufacture storylines or imagery or memories of previous experiences or whatever that with our spouse, obviously is what I would encourage, but you get the idea. We can turn ourselves on inside our own brains and that is what is healthy but when we start needing so much external stimulus and we start looking at images that weren't a turn on before but we realize now they are then all of a sudden what used to turn you on just doesn't turn you on anymore and it and it just it it, it stair steps from there that happens over and over and over again so you strip your gears not just once but multiple 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 times so um, and I will say that there is a movie, I wouldn't necessarily recommend it for people who do get heavily triggered by this type of imagery, but it is one of the most powerful movies I've ever seen that illustrates this concept of stripping your gears. It's a movie called Shame, 
with Michael Fassbender. He won some sort of, you know, Academy Award for it or whatever, but it truly illustrates the progressive nature of this type of activity. Um, but again, if you're somebody who is sensitive to this type of imagery, I do not recommend this movie. But if you're someone who's in this field and you're looking to help people, uh, I would recommend that as a professional, you watch it because it is very enlightening. Um, so coming back to your story, Crystal, when you met your husband or the man who would come to be your husband, what is his first name, by the way? Tim. Tim. When you met Tim, did you have anxieties about telling him about all of this? You know, I, I'm in a unique situation um, in that my livelihood, my career, my life is very public in terms of my story. Um, and so there was less anxiety in terms of, of telling him simply because if he didn't accept me, then I, I knew he wasn't for me. It wasn't because, a good match. Yeah. yeah. Because I wasn't going to stop doing what I was doing. Um, as you know, I've been doing this far longer than, you know, before I met him. And so um, I, I have a unique perspective in terms of that, but certainly as I was younger um, and I would, and I would be entering into dating and because I, I met my husband at, at 33 years old. So um, I was an old, quote unquote, an older single. And as the church would say, um, <laughs> and, a, a geriatric um, single. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> as far as the church's perspective goes, um, I don't think society feels that way so much now. Um, but, you know, I went up when I was in my 20s and I was and I was interested in dating. It terrified me. It terrified me to think, what's it going to be like to tell my future husband about this because, you know, in some ways I was still kind of cloaked in shame about it, even though I had um, received a lot of healing and a lot of redemption, I still had this, will anybody accept this about me kind of mentality? Um, and how will this affect our marriage? How will this affect our intimacy? Um, and so again, I have a different perspective because I got married older and I got married well into my recovery. And so things are a little bit different for me as far as meeting my husband and our, and, and learning to navigate our, our physical and emotional intimacy together. Um, but certainly understand someone who is more recently in recovery and how that would be much more difficult. How has this impacted your marriage relationship either negatively or positively. I would hope that there's a lot more positives because mm -hmm. of all that you've learned about yourself and intimacy through your journey of recovery. Yeah. Um, but what, I mean, I, but I assume that there are some challenges too. There are some challenges. I mean, we had conversations early on about, you know, what, what this would mean for us. And really I think the biggest challenge initially for me was, you know, I had really kind of, suppressed my sexuality for a really long time. If you think I'll about bet. the fact you that, had to you know, dial it way down. Way back. Yeah. Yeah. And so for me there was, you know, I really I hadn't masturbated. I had, you know, I hadn't done anything to really awaken my sexuality in a long, long time. I'm not saying that masturbation was perfect throughout this whole time. But, but um, because you didn't want it to draw you back into the porn addiction. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah. I, I can so, see how you would have how you would have made that association. Yes. Uh-huh. Okay. And so I was I was really mindful and careful in terms of, of how much I how much I engaged in that kind of behavior just because Vigilant. I knew that it, it could be a slippery slope for me. 
Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, potentially. And I still had accountability and I had good friends who were holding me accountable, but, um, and so when I was finally faced with, oh, there's this man in my life who I really like and I love and we're going to get married, you know, and we'd make out and have, you know, what we did um, before we got married. There was certainly this new awakening that happened in me. Hooray. There needs to be yeah. a sexual mm-hmm. awakening when you meet the yeah. person that you want to spend the rest of your life with. Exactly. Yes. But I'm sure and, that and, was and, scary and, for you after a long period of such yeah, extreme yeah. abstinence. Yeah. And I wasn't afraid of it and I wasn't ashamed of it, but at the same time it was like, well, we need to dial back our physical relationship um, at least, you know, until we're married, just so that I, I don't jump your bones and like, I can't stop myself. Um, which is true of any, I think, Christian courtship relationship where you want to be, so you want to be abstinent, you want to be mindful and save yourself for marriage as best you can. I was a virgin still. I wasn't a virgin in my mind at all, but I was a virgin but in my body. Technically, yeah. right. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and so I, and I wanted to, I wanted to stay that way until we got, until we were married and said, I do, but it was difficult. I mean, even for him of just being a man and, um, he, he didn't, he didn't have a porn addiction himself, but he had porn use in his background. Um, and he hadn't dated a whole lot either. And so it was very much like, oh, we love each other. We're so passionate. And so yet we had to really dial back. Um, but what that also showed me was, because I had this thought sort of when I was, when I, when I was single was, I don't think I'd ever li- like actually like sex. Even though I had a porn addiction, I think I, I was concerned about being like, if I would actually like it. As, well, and, as, and I've often heard that people who yeah. are addicted to porn, it's often a sublimation because they're yeah. so uncomfortable with the idea of sex. They would rather yeah. just harness their sexual energies and keep them to themselves because sharing that with another human being feels scary. It's so vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Like talk, talk about not just physical nakedness, but it's emotional nakedness um, and vulnerability with another person. And so that kind of, that really did kind of scare me before I met my husband. And I'm thankful that um, because of his tender love for me um, and his, his complete acceptance of me, um, I felt safe and was able to open up to him in ways that I never expected. And even today we talk about that. Like I, cause we were talking about this when we were dating was, I don't even know if I want to have sex with the lights on or, you know, without the covers on. Like I was so not, I had body image issues. I had, you know, just things about myself that I was uncomfortable with. And yet we find ourselves now after, you know, canoodling that, we're just lying there naked with each other and I'm fully exposed. And that's something that I never expected I would be like. I love um, that. That's what you discovered. Yeah, yeah. Because I know that it seems scary to someone who's never experienced that, but that's exactly mm-hmm. how it should be naked and unashamed. Yeah. That naked was naked and unashamed. Yeah. Yes. Um, and you know, and I've met other women who have, who have walked the journey of pornography addiction and have gotten married and sex is much more scary for them. It's much, it's much scarier and much more traumatic. And I think it's because of unhealed wounds. Um, and I think it's really, really critically important that you work on those things before you get married. Because there's, because for one thing, pornography is extremely traumatic. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. Pornography is not a representation of, of true biblical intimacy right. and sexuality. It's a, it's a counterfeit and that's even a nice word for it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it lies to us about expectations in the bedroom. It lies to us about expectations as women. Um, it, it lies to us, us about very selfish lovers selfish lovers and it gives us false expectations about men yes because men in sex or women are very, yeah yes <laughs> false expectations but, about our own bodies yeah because men are often violent and controlling in, in, in pornography mm-hmm. um and so that can be scary thought too um and so when you're looking at pornography as your as your aid or as your sex education it's a it's a really false look at it and so there's a lot of trauma involved for women who have pornography addiction as well about how they look and see sexuality. And so you have to heal those things and see sex and learn about sex and sexuality in really, truly healthy ways, you know, not with using Shannon's materials is a great way to do that too, is understanding what true intimacy, true biblical sexuality looks like and celebrate that. Um, So that when you are, faced with, I'm going to get married and I'm going to have sex, not to be terrified of it or worried about what the expectations are. And really conversation I had with my husband before we got married was about the expectations of the bedroom and the expectations of of our sexual relationship. And I talk about this in my book, Dating Done Right too, these, these, these difficult, difficult conversations about our sexuality and our expectations, because, you know, you have to ask the question, how many times a week do you think we're going to have sex? Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, the number is very different usually between the wife and the, and the husband or the boyfriend and the girlfriend as you're talking about these things. Right. Um, and of course, I had it in my mind that even though I was kind of afraid of sex, that I was going to want to have sex all the time because obviously I was. Because you I was, waited all these years. I waited all these years. But you know what? <laughs> I, I I love sex and I love sex with my husband and he is a giver. Like I I am very lucky woman, but I also don't really want it that much. <laughs> like I I thought I would want it a lot more often than I actually do. Um, well, it's and, that when you do have sex, it satisfies you, and when you're does. satisfied, you're not clamoring yeah. and craving. Exactly. It sounds like you yeah. enjoy it. It sounds as if. You I love sex with my husband. Good yeah. For you. I, I love I, sex I, with my husband. <laughs> I love that other women can hear women declare yeah. that. That's one of the things yeah. that I love about this podcast. It gives people yeah. a platform to just boldly declare, I love yeah. sex. Yeah. I love that you have developed such a level of self-control. You put on your big girl panties before you walked into that dating relationship, before mm-hmm. you walked into marriage. I am so proud of you for that, Crystal. I'm so proud of your vulnerability. I am so proud, or I'm so happy for you that you have found a good lover and you it sounds like you've become a good lover. And We're that, so good together, yeah. Yeah, that you, <laughs> you are experiencing exactly what God intended. Yeah. And thank you for recommending that people really look at this issue and the impact that it's having on their lives because you are so right. Women are really often afraid of sex when they have been looking at porn because that is what they expect when marital intimacy is rarely ever like anything you see in porn. It is so much more beautiful and edifying and comforting and bonding. And you just don't see that. It's it's pinching my husband's butt at at Home Depot. You know, that's, (laughs) I think, I think that is what for me, one of the things that I find is so precious. And even, even him touching me on the, on the small of my back in the grocery store, I find it 
titillating and, and, Mm -hmm. and wonderful because I know that he's, he sees me, um, as not just a sexual conquest, but as, as somebody that he's deeply intimate with on an emotional level, a a companion, Mm -hmm. a partner, a mate. Yeah. For me, intimacy that you would never see in porn is, a two hour bubble bath together where you're just yeah. talking about your hopes and dreams. It's like, that would be the most boring porn ever for two hours just <laughs> of talking, but that's what you have to look forward to ladies. So yeah. if you're someone who really needs to unpack your sexual past, whether it's porn use, whether it's a, an obsession with masturbation, uh, whether it's uh, previous um, sexual experiences, sexual abuse, uh, or or just ignorance around all sexual things or shame because of the way that you were raised, really encourage you to consider coming to one of our women at the well workshops. We'll have a whole nother lineup of dates coming, uh, in the spring of 2021. And I also just want to recommend for those of you who I had recommended the movie shame, if that sounds like way too much, you know, TMI for you, there is a book that I would actually recommend that every person on the planet read, but it's only the second chapter of the book. It's not like you have to read the whole book. There is a, an author named Chris Hedges who won, uh, I think it was a Pulitzer Prize or something along those lines for his book called Empire of Illusion. And the subtitle is The End of Literacy and the Triumph of Spectacle. But chapter, I believe it's chapter two, is an entire chapter on just the pornography industry and what it's really like for the actors and actresses. Mm -hmm. And when I read this chapter in preparation for writing The Fantasy Fallacy, I literally wound up on my face, on the carpet, sobbing because my heart hurt so much for these women, especially, but also the things that they subject the men to, like heinous acts in order to get what they get the footage that they need for the project that they're working on or whatever. Mm -hmm. It is such an abusive industry. And if you have become prey to it, if you become a victim of it, I really want you to reach out to somebody and I want you to, to sign up for this virtual conference. It is free people. Crystal is doing this with partnership with covenant eyes for they're offering it for free. So Crystal, how can people sign up and be a part of this five day virtual conference? Yeah. We'd love for you to be a part of it. And we actually have speakers lined up at the summit who are also talking about the harms of pornography industry and really what you're watching and, and, and contributing to in, term, in terms of the human trafficking um, industry. Um, so it really is a really eye-opening event as well. Um, but the best way to uh, sign up is to just go to shevirtualsummit.com and you can sign up for free. Um, but if you can't make it to all sessions, we're talking about like, I think it's, it's going to end up being something like, 60 sessions total um and it's over the course of a week and if you can't make that there is there is the option to purchase an a lifetime access to the content as well um but shevirtualsummit.com will give you all the information that you need in order to sign up and to learn more 
awesome. And please tell your friends, tell your daughters, tell your, your parents, like spread the word about this because even pastors, if, yes, ministry leaders, counselors, yeah, counselors. exactly. Mm -hmm. Even if they themselves don't necessarily need it for personal reasons, I guarantee you, they probably know some people that would really benefit from this conference. So Crystal, thank you again so much for the work that you do, for sharing my passion for healthy sexuality. Again, I so celebrate your journey and I'm so just so proud of the work that you do. So I just want to thank everyone for listening. Uh, if you want to chime in on this conversation, send us an email at ontap at shannonetheridge.com or you can call and leave a voice message at 321-30-ON-TAP, 321-30-ON-TAP. So we thank you for listening to another episode of Sexual Confidence on Tap with Shannon Etheridge and friends. We love you for listening and we thank you for tapping on us.